Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Alrighty, good morning and welcome to the program. Halfway through the working week already, hey? Uh, is, is it a, next week's the short week? Is it the Queen's birth? Anyway, I think we've got a long weekend coming up. I'll double, triple check that. <laughs> the eighth day of June today. Nice to have your company around Australia here on starterfm.com.au on the iHeartRadio platform. Of course, on TuneIn. And maybe you're listening to us a little later online via our broadcast, uh, the podcast. If you are, please, if you wouldn't mind, give it a share on your social media. Um, plenty to talk about this morning. Uh, you know that the uh, the vaccine mandates have ended for uh, teachers, but those that weren't fully vaccinated, that is getting the two initial jabs, some are still sitting at home on gardening leave while there is a teaching crisis, a shortage of teachers here in New South Wales. But they're just sitting back, waiting for a so-called risk assessment from the Department of Education. It's a joke. I'll get into that story for you very soon. Of course, I'll go through the nitty-gritty of yesterday's big announcement by the Reserve Bank. It caught everybody by surprise, including many leading economists. A 0.5% increase. We're expecting only a 0.25% increase, but no. They whacked it up the official cash rate now, 0.85%. On the average loan, over a 25-year period, it'll jack up your uh, repayment costs by a minimum of 125 bucks a month. Now, that might be okay. The problem is, if we see a similar rise next month, that's another 125. A similar rise the following month, because the Reserve Bank, remember, have indicated they will be continuously raising interest rates in order to bring inflation in, under control. So we will continue to see interest rate rises probably into next year. I worry, because already we're seeing stories that there'll be a, a dramatic drop in the value of properties particularly in places like Sydney, they're talking about a, a reduction in value of around $150,000 already. Okay, uh, we'll get into that. My big concern, of course, is for those that are, were already close to the red. Any further interest rate increases and hikes will only place further pressure on these households under mortgage stress. Okay, that's coming up. Um, now... Toll relief. Yeah, well, we're told the drivers will get up to $750 cash back in their pockets each year as part of a major toll relief overhaul, which will deliver the greatest benefits to motorists in Western Sydney. Really? You can tell there's an election in the wind. Old Dominic is sending out his, uh, you know, his pre-budget sweeteners to his favourite journalists at News Corp. Around half a million motorists will get quarterly rebates on their toll bill as part of what has been dubbed the cost of living centrepiece of the government's June budget. Drivers who spend at least 375 bucks in tolls a year will benefit. Well, that'd be 
pretty much most of them. I'll talk a little about that story as well. Um, I uh, caught up with a young uh, radio presenter in WA yesterday. Isaac, his name is. He works for Youth Radio, uh, Youth Jam Radio, <laughs> that is, in WA. We had a chat about the, the whole saga, uh, Friendly Geordies, Google, and, of course, former Deputy Premier of New South Wales, John Barillaro. We'll play that back for you on the program as well this morning. You can be a part of it. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us as well on YouTube. And give us a follow there, please, if you wouldn't mind, or a subscribe. Plenty of your comments continue, and I appreciate that on our content online. Thank you very much. Latest news, we'll update you on the day's big stories from the newsroom at AIR. That's AIR News. And some great tunes as well. Let's get into it on this Wednesday morning, the 8th day of June. Mark is four in the morning. Children. Crying with fear about the end of the world. End of the world. End of the world. Look at the science. It's not the climate crisis that a lot of people are saying. Bad enough the extremism of some of the teachers and the language that they use, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the approach that, that they take. Uh, but it's, it's across a broad range of public policy. Okay, let's get into it this morning. Great to have your company, Marcus Paul, in the morning. Well, one of the big stories yesterday, and I touched on it, of course, on our social media, it was the decision the country was waiting for with bated breath, and that was interest rates. The Reserve Bank of Australia raised its benchmark interest rate by more than what was expected by most economists, 0.5 percentage points to 0.85 percentage points. Now, that is the biggest increase in more than two decades. In fact, 22 years. If lenders mirror the RBA's move, monthly repayments on the average new home loan in New South Wales of $786,000 will increase by $211. On half a million dollars of initial borrowing, the hike is set to add $134 to instalments and double that amount on $1 million. Some economists had been expecting a 25 basis point lift by the RBA, while others had been anticipating a jump of around 40 basis points. Only a few were right in tipping a 50 basis point leap. It is the biggest single jump since the year 2000. This latest increase, announced at around 2.30 yesterday, follows a 0.25 percentage point increase in May, which was the first since 2010. Now, in a statement revealing the 0.5% hike, the RBA Governor Philip Lowe flagged more rate rises were on the way and raised the prospect of again lifting by more than the usual 0.25%. Now, the RBA board expects to take further steps in the process of normalising monetary conditions in Australia over the months ahead, said the Governor Philip Lowe. The size and timing of future interest rate increases will be guided by the incoming data and the board's assessment of the outlook for inflation and the labour market. Well, I'm just wondering where mortgage stress will hit the hardest. 
The latest rise, of course, comes as modelling, and I talked about this yesterday on the program, modelling reveals half of all households with a mortgage will be unable to make ends meet by Christmas as a run of interest rate rises plunges an extra half million households into the red. The Reserve Bank of Australia is expected to lift its benchmark cash rate by as much as, as we said, 0.5, well, so, so half a percent today, so that's done. So that means, as we say, with the cash rate now at 0.85%, and I'll mention this figure again, $211 a month to repayments on the average new New South Wales mortgage, lasting of 25 years, and of around 786 grand. Wow. All right, I have here in front of me a rate rise calculator. And I'm going to put in a couple of numbers. Let's say your loan amount is $800,000. The length of your loan, standard loan, 25 years. Your current interest rate, for argument's sake, is the official cash rate, what it was until yesterday, 230 of 0.35%, and now there is a rate increase of 0.5%. Now, given that banks probably will pass that full interest rate rise on, particularly for those borrowers, not necessarily out, you know, they're never in a hurry to pay interest increases, are they? Let's just say the rate increase of 0.5% is passed on fully. So that will increase your monthly repayments over 25 years on an $800,000 loan by $175. And let's say, obviously, there's another rate increase next month and the following month and the following, even if it's by 0.5 or even by 25 basis points. You're looking at either a $175 rate hike, that's an increase in your repayments each month, or half of that going forward all the way through to possibly next Christmas. Well, the experts say whichever number that the RBA continues to choose, it is unlikely to be the last hike this year. As I mentioned yesterday, analysts, including some of the big ones at Macquarie Bank, the AMP and others, are among those predicting a 2% cash rate by this Christmas. We are now at 0.85%. You don't need to be a mathematics whiz to work out. It will be very hard for some homeowners. Marcus Paul in the morning. Wednesday morning, great to have your company. Marcus Paul in the morning. Give us a, a like and a follow if you could on our social media, on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and of course, YouTube. Marcus Paul in the morning, give us a a subscribe there if you wouldn't mind. Well, the term pork barrelling is is common parlance, and if that's the accusation made on this occasion, I'm happy to accept that commentary. $252 million went to coalition-held seats. I think all governments and all oppositions uh, make commitments to the community in order to curry favour. Asked if using taxpayer dollars for political benefit is acceptable. It's not an illegal practice. Uh, Unfortunately, it does happen from time to time. Could we see the end of pork barrelling in, well, New South Wales? Politicians should be a bit more worried than they used to be. Well, yesterday, the Premier backed tougher grant scrutiny 
after the Gladys-fuelled pork barrelling review. Effectively, what is happening is vote buying. It's bribery. Where it involves spending public money to secure votes in an election does actually have the effect of lining politicians' pockets. Success in an election may determine whether an MP has a job or not. More scrutiny will be placed on government grants after the Premier, Dominic Perrottet, announced he would support, or at least support in principle, all recommendations from a pork barrelling review. It's not an illegal practice, but if the accusation is that the government favoured uh, certain areas, well, that's an accusation we'll wear. While the changes stop short of outlawing pork barrelling, the practice of funnelling funds to politically sensitive areas in a bid to win or retain them, of course, a number of other changes will be implemented. This will include grants officials documenting when a Member of Parliament tries to pressure or sway funding to certain electorates, while a cross-agency community of practice body will also be set up to oversee grants administration. I wear that as a badge of honour. I wear that as a badge of honour. Bearing in mind, of course, this is just at a New South Wales level. This sounds like a great idea also at a federal level. Anyway, the 19 recommendations contained in a report authored by Productivity Commissioner Peter Achistrat released earlier this month. I think that's the way to go. Come after the Premier asked for a review to be conducted into grants funding last year. Now we know that review came after former Premier, uh, Premier Gladys Berejiklian told a New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption inquiry last year that governments, quote, throw money at seats to save them. Well, the Premier said yesterday the recommendations would make grant delivery as fair as possible. He also said, while it is of course important that elected officials retain some discretion in the administration of grants programs, the New South Wales Government is committed to ensuring this discretion is exercised as fairly, transparently and effectively as possible. Grants need to be delivered fairly and deliver value for the New South Wales taxpayer, said the Premier. And I am committed to seeing positive changes put in place as, swifty, as swiftly as possible. The New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption Chief Commissioner, Peter Hall QC, last week said the practice of pork barrelling should be made illegal. Well, I agree with him. One of the key promises by the incoming Labor government federally was for a federal anti-corruption watchdog to be introduced before the end of this year. Well, maybe it might look to this inquiry held into grant scrutiny here in New South Wales. Wouldn't be a bad start, Mr Albanese. Marcus Paul in the morning. Budget week word and election word too. Pork barrelling. What's the uh, background to that one, Kel? Started as a joke at a, a little polling station with a big barrel of salted pork. Handing out a piece of salted pork to anyone who promised them their vote. But it was a joke. It was just a funny short story. Ten years later, after the American Civil War, it was taken seriously. And newspapers started using it as a serious metaphor for government spending that was intended to buy votes. And it's, it's been used that way since 1873. First turned up in an Ohio newspaper. Brasamia! Hello. Yeah, good day, Marcus. Toll road, seven hundred and fifty bucks a week, a rebate from Puritan. You happy with that, buddy? 
Well, it's kind of like um, an early election bribe, if you ask me. $750 cash back. Uh, Drivers eligible for a 40% rebate to help relieve the cost of living. Look, I understand that it's um, a nice little sweetener. It was a leak today given to... uh, uh, I guess the LNP's favourite journalist at The Telegraph, James O'Doherty. Uh, but yeah, you can tell there's an election in the wind. Not only are we hearing, Ben, that you'll be able to get some toll relief, that is an excuse really to privatise further assets of people in New South Wales, but they're also going to crack down on pork barrelling. Yeah, well, pork barrelling, mate, money is the mother's milk of politics, Marcus. I don't see pork barrelling going anywhere unless, first off, we see pay cuts for politicians. Now, the toll roads, are they highway robbery, mate? Is that the definition of highway robbery? Well, I think so. Um, New South Wales, or Sydney in particular, uh, the most tolled city on the planet. Imagine if your family business was toll roads and you had connections in governments across Western nations that were able to do your deals so you could extort the populations for travelling on roads their grandfathers built. Well, I don't know whether their grandfathers built them um, or not, but uh, my point's always been um, roadways um, are to be provided under the Constitution Um, and we shouldn't be paying extra. We're already paying for them. We already pay a a fuel levy. You know, okay, we know it's been, you know, it's had 22 cents of a litre knocked back. Um, That'll change again in uh, September, but we're already paying a fortune um, in in tax and fuel excise and levies every time you register your car, every time you insure your car, all this sort of stuff. We're already taxed enough. The government should be building these key pieces of infrastructure using public money and we shouldn't have them sold off to private enterprise for a profit because the average... Well, think about it for a moment. Let's just say you live in, I don't know, Windsor or Castle Hill, somewhere out in the hills area of Sydney and you have to get to the airport and take a flight. All right, you're paying seven, eight bucks on the M7. Then you're paying another five or six bucks on the M2. Then if you go through the tunnels, because you need to get to the airport as quickly as you can, you go through the Lane Cove tunnel. There's another few dollars. And then over the bridge and through other tollways to get to the airport, including the Eastern Distributor and the like. It's crazy, Ben. Hey, it's way too expensive. And uh, personal chauffeurs... Taxi drivers, Uber drivers, transportation guys, mm. they should get it for free. They're, they're providing the community a service. They shouldn't have to pay toll roads, so they shouldn't have to pass on those tolls to individuals that hop in those vehicles Look, as well. Nothing's for free. I understand that. But my point is we are already paying enough tax, surely. Uh, or, or if you – okay, so the government doesn't use – taxpayer uh, funds coming through fuel levies to build our roads, why can't we do what we used to do? Why not set up a government lottery, you know, and run it over a couple of years, set up a fund, put that aside, and then start building things like big infrastructure projects um, like the new motorways and, and stop selling them off to private enterprise? Right there with you, mate. I would love some innovation from people in government and maybe you can have a word to elbow. All we need to do is we can cap petrol at $1 a litre for the next year. We can cap petrol at $1 a litre. 
all we do yeah. is we trade uranium to mm -hmm. petroleum producing nations yep. and we cut a deal with them, mate. We give them uranium on the cheap and they ensure that we have petrol that can come to us, the consumer, at a dollar per litre. And that would include the fuel excise tax as well, mate. All right. If well, we do that, mm -hmm. if we do that, Regular families that are on fixed incomes, guess what? They can afford to go somewhere on the weekend. As it stands right now with fluctuating fuel prices, mm. it prevents travel, mate. It makes it cost prohibitive for families and it blows out budgets. Speaking of blowing your budget, when was the last time you bought an iceberg lettuce? Uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, mate. How much are they going for now? Iceberg lettuce selling for 12 bucks each as a shortage strip sandwich staple from our shelves, Ben. Far out. I've got so much white privilege that I never pay attention to the price of lettuce. <laughs> I mean, but that's crazy. I mean, we talk about inflation, but that's next level. 12 bucks for an iceberg lettuce. It is, mate, because that's rabbit food. I heard her some remarks mm. that Hungry Jacks has stopped putting lettuce in their burgers because really? otherwise they'd have to jack up the prices. What are they I'm sure replacing? the prawnies out there will figure that out. What are they replacing the lettuce with? I don't think you're getting anything, mate. I was eating a Maxi Bon for breakfast this morning. I looked at my packet and it's like a packet of chips, mate. It's half air. I remember the Maxi Bon used to go from end to end, mate. They've shaved off at least an inch of my Maxi Bon. Not happy, mate. <laughs> KFC chips are getting smaller. They're literally getting smaller. The boxes are getting smaller. And yeah. you can ask them. And they say, oh, we had to do that. Otherwise, we'd have to change the prices. I'm still paying the same and getting less. So they have jacked up the prices. All right. I, I notice you've been pretty uh, vocal on my social media, Ben, in relation to gun laws and gun control. And you have your opinion. Um, I, I, I'm pretty certain that we need to hopefully see something done in the United States to regulate gun control because it's our, well, I mean, it's next level. It's completely off the charts. For, what is it? 220 odd mass shooting so far this year in the United States. Not everybody should have a right to arm themselves, Ben. Exactly, mate. And the vast majority of those mass shootings are committed by gangbangers in the ghetto. And our media doesn't want to touch on that. They only want to report and go into hysterics when a mentally ill crazy person walks into a school and decides to execute children. Yeah, but hang on. The mentally ill crazy person that you refer to are the ones that are killing children. Um, it's a, I mean, every death is by a firearm is tragic. But if you're talking about gangbangers in a, uh, you know, a drug deal gone wrong, I mean, you can hardly put that up next to innocent 11, 12 and 13-year-olds being gunned down simply for sitting behind their school desk. Well, I am comparing it to that because the majority of the victims in these gangbanger-type killings where they fire indiscriminately into crowds, yeah. the victims are children. There's children that are peacefully sleeping in their beds in the evening. A drive-by happens, and these bullets are take out kids. I'm all for gun control. Let's start where the problem is most prevalent. Let's send door-to-door -door gun confiscation in high-rise projects in urban environments in America, and then let's disarm the ghetto. And by doing just those two things, we will reduce mm -hmm. over 50% of the gun homicides in the United States. Surely you support that. 
Um, uh, I would rather see the end completely to semi-automatic guns. I'm on the record as saying I have no problem with uh, legislated gun ownership, that is, those, you know, who use it who use uh, the uh, firearms for hunting, um, for recreational purposes, um, if it's in a safe environment. But I don't know what the answer is, Ben, because the National Rifle Association is such a strong lobby in the United States. And, uh, you know, even, um, well, Republicans, I can't see them going up against them. I, I worry there won't be a change. Every single Democrat private armed security. Most of them have 24-7 armed security, 365 days a year. Mm. And you can best believe every single one of their security operators has access to unlimited firearms of the highest capacity, fully automatic, Marcus. Are you willing to deprive them of their firearms No, as because well? they're licensed. Uh, it's very different. It's a different scenario. Okay, so so long as people have a license in America, they should be entitled to semi-automatic guns. No, uh, no, not at all. Uh, there should be special circumstances. Obviously, if you're guarding a public figure, that's different. But the average Joe has no place at all having any access to semi-automatic rifles or firearms. Well, semi-automatic rifles, Marcus. Firearms. Just you know what means, I'm saying. Yeah, but semi-automatic, what, what you're talking about is guns that look like AR-15s. You're not talking about a pistol that can be semi-auto and shoot 17 rounds with a magazine. Well, I'm not a gun expert. All I know is that if, uh, you know, if you have young people walking into schools firing indiscriminately... Um, yep. using maniacs yep using automatic guns that are able to fire uh, god knows how many rounds per minute these are the sorts of guns we need outlawed i know and it's terrible and it's a tragedy and we want to stop the loss of innocent life mm. but murder is already illegal marcus and if we take guns away so these crazy people can't get guns guess what they're going to do they're going to take a bus or a truck or something and they're going to run into school children waiting for a ride home. This is what happens around the world in nations where people don't have access to guns. Look at Paris, look at London. Yeah, Crazy but with people respect, kill people. it's a bit easier to get into a school with a semi-automatic than it is uh, to drive a bus through the front door. Anyway, Ben, let's leave it at that. We'll have a chat again next week. How does that sound? Yeah, but what about the Queen, mate? Before Elbow turns us into a republic, how about he launches a class action against the monarchy for $100 billion worth of restitution for the crimes committed and perpetrated by her family? Queen Elizabeth personally signed off on White Australia policy, Marcus. She's living in palaces. She's the largest property owner on the face of the planet. No, she's, she's not. Plenty, the mate. Catholic Church is. The Catholic Church. So now mm. you want to go, what are we going to go after the churches now? No, I, you're the one that wants to go after the Queen. You said that the royal family, the British royal family, is the largest uh, owner of property on the planet. That's not true. It's well, the Catholic, the, the Catholic Church itself is an entity. The Queen herself, as the sovereign, mm. as the head of the crown... <laughs> Right now, Marcus, do you own the land your house sits on? Uh, I don't own any property right at this point. Well, if you don't pay your rates, guess what happens? The government comes and takes it. You know all that bush and scrub that's out in the outback? It's crown land, Is yes. Crown land? Mm. Well, who owns the crown, mate? All right. All right. Well, let's get into that next time. 
100%. And uh, fighter jet cartoons, mate. Why is Penny Man in the controls and why is Elbow <laughs> relegated to the back seat like a child? That's terrible optics, mate. <laughs> we would have to take that up with the illustrator. <laughs> Maybe Penny yeah. Wong is in charge. Where's Tanya Plibersek? Plibersek's gone. Is he, mate? Has Elbow gagged her? No. You sure? I think she's turned into the gimp. She's silenced all of a sudden. I'm going to silence you now, Ben. Bye, Marcus. It seems that there was a few rats in Sydney. Men, men. It's like black and white TV on the moon, mate. It doesn't make any sense. Ah, girls. Boys. Ah, boys. Girls. Transphobia. There's so much happening. Men, men, men. Boys, girls. Transphobia. Black and white TV. What's up with that? Alrighty, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Just a, a little more on the interest rate rise of yesterday. And I uh, was reading that the Reserve Bank's move to raise rates again will continue to plunge Sydney's housing market into a bigger downturn, with modelling revealing how much prices would drop. And they say there could be up to $150,000 wiped off the value of Sydney homes. What do you make of that? Let me know. Uh, you can always give us a call on the hotline, 0406 uh, You might want to have your say on that uh, at any point. Uh, you can even leave your comments, of course, on the Facebook page. There's plenty of stories up there and content up there on the interest rate rise. Okay, well, I, I mentioned yesterday that the New South Wales governments will... Uh, provide a $3,000 one-off thank you payment to its um, employees. All right. So no matter what, I'm going to get some money. So the public servants, um, those employed by the state government. All right. Well, the public servants' pay cap will rise, as we mentioned as well, to 3%, and frontline health workers will get that one-off $3,000 thank you payment. Apparently, politicians will benefit too. Really? Frank, is this a joke? Well, the Premier defended this move yesterday, saying he could not extend a one-off $3,000 thank you payment to police officers at the coalface of the pandemic because of, quote, competing budget interests. And I mentioned yesterday there would be no doubt that the coppers would be really unhappy by this. Uh, Notwithstanding, of course, um, I'm very happy that those frontline health workers are getting that one-off bonus. Good on them. They deserve it. But why not the police? The Premier has been slammed by senior police and -and rank-and-file members for only giving the cash handout to healthcare workers, despite police facing vilification from the public for carrying out their health orders and running hotel quarantine. Now, Mr Perrottet said yesterday there are always competing budget interests. It's always a difficult process. Police, well, they've just signed up to their agreement and what we said yesterday is that they will immediately get the 3% and the 3.5%. I know all of our public servants, police, teachers, everyone has done an amazing job, said the Premier. But I think we can all agree that our health workers have been the heroes of the pandemic. They've done an amazing job on the front line. Now, Dominic Perrottet also responded to recommendations by the Parliamentary Remuneration Tribunal 
to give MPs a 2% rise? He said yesterday, I've seen the recommendation from the Parliamentary Remuneration Tribunal, but I'll make the point that during the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, we froze politicians' pay. Well, that leaves him a bit, of, a little bit of wiggle room, doesn't it? So, in other words, he's not ruling it out. Mr Perrottet announced earlier this week, Monday of course, that healthcare workers would get that $3,000 appreciation cash boost and the public service wage cap would be increased to 3% this financial year. All right, well, in addition, the wage cap would go up 3.5% the following year with the additional 0.5% contingent on productivity measures being achieved. But as I revealed yesterday, politicians are set to receive an average pay rise of $8,000 per year after a decision from the Parliamentary Remuneration Tribunal. A fourth-year teacher, nurse or child protection worker would be around $2,000 better off under the new wage cap and the annual PRT determination released last Friday will give a 2% pay increase to MPs' basic salaries. Analysis from the New South Wales Labor Party estimated that the average MP salary would increase by $8,116, while Premier Dominic Perrottet would get an $11,245 increase. Not bad. MP base salaries increased by 2% but additional allowances, including salaries for additional parliamentary roles, increased by 3.5%. Now, Mr Perrottet and Treasurer McKean said their $3,000 payment was a thank you to the people who helped the state through the pandemic. Overall, the state's wages policy will cost $1.3 billion, while the $3,000 handouts will cost the taxpayer $435 million. Our sound economic management allows us to invest in our people through higher wages and more frontline workers, said the Premier, while Employee Relations Minister Damien Tudhope said the government had a fair and responsible approach. He said, in this wages policy, we are putting additional pay increases on the table for workplace reforms that deliver better outcomes for the public, a win for workers and a win for the community. Now, of course, these announcements did little to placate union bosses who are refusing to rule out more strikes after Monday's wage announcement. A public service association strike scheduled for today is still set to go ahead despite the wage cap being increased. The PSA, the Public Service Association, General Secretary Stuart Little said it would be very, very unlikely that a wage increase of 3% would appease the union to avoid industrial action. Asked directly if his union would strike again, New South Wales Teachers Federation President Angelo Gavrilatos said teachers cannot sit back and watch our students be denied their future. Unions New South Wales Secretary Mark Morey described the announcement as, quote, paltry. Mr Morey said the policy was a, quote, political solution and not a, quote, worker retention solution. He said the unions are all going to take it back to their memberships and discuss it. My feeling is that it's still a wage cut for workers. It won't fix the issue of returning skilled staff. It's positive. All right, Mr Morey said the one-off $3,000 payment should be extended to all frontline workers and not just the healthcare industry.
Senior police, as well as rank-and-file police officers, are bristling at being snubbed in the cash splash after they were vilified by the public in enforcing the government's public health orders. Mr Morey said yesterday, why do only health workers get the one-off $3,000? There were thousands of workers who worked through the floors, through bushfires, through the pandemic, through the floods rather, (laughs) bushfires in the pandemic. It's a political solution rather than a worker retention solution. That's according to Mark Morey. Okay, well, as I expected, the union's not happy. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Now, yesterday I sat down with a young bloke who runs a youth radio station in Western Australia. He's a good bloke. He also, uh, I think, is involved in doing some production and panel work at a talk station in Perth, 6PR. His name is Isaac Mulcrone. And Isaac is, uh, uh, well, he's he's great. He's young, he's keen, he's eager and he's learning. And he follows everything we do here at Marcus Paul in the morning. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyway, uh, Isaac and I sat, uh, sat down for an interview regarding the situation around Friendly Geordie's John Marilaro and Google, the whole legal mess. Of course, big news on Monday in relation to all of that. So I sat down with Isaac and uh, described as best I could to his listeners in Western Australia exactly what's been going on. Here is that chat. Marcus Paul, thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. For those of us who don't quite understand the full extent to what's happened, can you briefly take us through what the goings-on have been, Marcus? In relation to uh, the win yesterday in the federal court by the former New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro, well, he has managed to successfully sue Google for defamation to the tune so far of some $715,000. Now, it's a lot of money, um, but there may well be more um, because there'll be a costs order made as well by the uh, the justice, Justice Rares, on this matter. Now, how damaging is this for freedom of speech, especially for those younger people like me whose voice may not be as projected as people like Mr Barillaro? All right, well, look, John claims, John, the former Deputy Premier, claimed victory uh, and that he was uh, quote-unquote vindicated in the wake of what he called a relentless cyber-bullying campaign by Friendly Geordies. Now, look, the issue here, uh, and look, Jordan and others, uh, you need to have some kind of shtick. You need to have some kind of, um, I don't want to use the word show, but there's a... uh, you know, a, a nom de plume which is always placed on people like you, Jordan Shanks or Isaac Butterfield or anybody else. Look, for many years we've been doing satire. Politicians in our country have been lampooned and made fun of since, uh, well, since as long as I can remember. The, yeah. the issue is um, how far can you go? Now, uh, Jordan, in the work that he did on uh, the former New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro, uh, com- 
obviously contained what the court found to be racist um, overtones. Now, that's a matter of, of opinion, and you know I respect the justice's opinion, but I don't necessarily agree with it. That's the beauty of, you know, <laughs> a democracy. Now, the issue is, of course, um, Jordan not only used, I guess, as in the court's words, not mine, racist overtones in his in his uh, uh, work and content and videos on uh, the uh, the former New South Wales Deputy Premier, leader of the Nationals in New South Wales, but he also backed it up with evidence, evidence that he claims he had legally tested and that, you know, obviously he thought was in the public interest. And this is where we come to, uh, I think, what is most fundamental in all of this. Is the work done by Friendly Geordies and others, and even though obviously uh, a court has ruled one way in this uh, particular instance, is this work in the public interest? I will always argue yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, the evidence produced in these videos and uh, Jordan uh, Jordan backing it up on his, you know, on his videos and on his social media, all the rest of it, has never been tested in court. I mean, Google, for instance, they didn't bother filing a defence. And as a result, um, some, including other independent journalists like Michael West and others, and I agree with this, what, what's happened is that we've just made a rich man richer because he's claimed hurt feelings. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, if every politician, uh, this is what is a, a bit of a concern, if every politician ran to the defamation courts because of hurt feelings, you know, we'd be, well, we'd be going to court each and every day. I mean, your, yeah. your premier over there in Western Australia, I mean, you should hear some of the things people calling him online here in New <laughs> South Wales, you know, over, over, yeah, well, over lockdown rules and over all the issues you've had over there, keeping West Australians safe, well. You know, um, Mark McGowan has been lampooned. Now, he could be running off to the defamation uh, court, claiming hurt <laughs> feelings. Look, the other issue, of course, uh, and as what some say could be the real story, which was missed by the media, uh, by a lot of the mainstream, and we still haven't heard the last of this. You know, the Australian Federal Police, supposedly independent, arrested and harassed uh, Jordan's producer, Christo, just before the former Deputy Premier's defamation suit. Now, yes. this hasn't seen, uh, I mean, there have been some discussions in parliamentary inquiries in New South Wales, but we haven't heard the end of this yet. And, and as I say, at the end of the day, not a single fact in the allegations of corruption and misconduct by the former Deputy Premier of New South Wales, not a single fact has been tested in court. I mean, Mr Barillaro settled with Jordan Shanks. Uh, he claimed parliamentary privilege on a, a number of, of issues. Um, you know, and I, I just, I w really worry, you know, and I wonder whether it's okay for politicians to a, deploy terror police against political opponents, leading to the media simply, you know, missing the story and, and turning over. Or, you know, why is it that this whole story 
of whether or not the former New South Wales Deputy Premier uh, was corrupt, as in the allegations made by Jordan Shanks in his videos, why it was never tested in court or allowed to get that far to be tested in court. And uh, to answer your question, I think it is a bit of a, a black eye to free speech here in Australia. Now, Barlow and Shanks, as you say, they've already settled their defamation case in court. Yeah. But one thing I want to test your uh, opinion on here is, do you think this has actually helped Jordan's case in showing the power the New South Wales government actually have, suing citizens having an opinion, getting anti-terrorist police at your doorstep? Does it show a, a power problem in your state's government? Well, absolutely. Um, and look, there are still many things that are still being tested that I obviously need to be a little careful about talking here. Um, you know, yeah. the Independent Commission Against Corruption has not finalised its findings on the former Premier, Gladys Berejiklian. Now, um, there were some other issues uh, in that inquiry that also included the Deputy Premier, John Barillaro. So um, I, I'm a little hesitant to, to fully answer your question. The other thing as well um, that I think we can all look forward to is a greater independent commission against corruption uh, being at a, at a federal level. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and there may well be greater powers now to hold politicians to account. Now, whether that will have any ramifications for the former New South Wales Premier or Deputy Premier, I'm not quite, you know, that remains to be seen. Probably not. Um, mm. So I think once we have a federal ICAC or some sort of integrity commission established at a federal level, I think journalists then may feel a little more comfortable knowing that they can break stories or they can talk about these issues, uh, knowing that there is a, a watchdog with teeth, uh, perhaps, that can look into any allegations. What's what's disappointed me the most about the whole issue surrounding John Barillaro, and I, you know, I used to uh, know John. I lived and worked in Canberra. Uh, he was, you know, he's Queanbeyan, is where he's born and bred. He was a local businessman. He uh, appeared on my uh, my afternoon drive program on Two Double C in Canberra on a number of occasions. It wasn't until I was handed you know, a whole bunch of information and read some evidence and went through documentation um, that was provided to me that I, I myself started questioning certain things that had happened. I mean, what it all comes down to effectively, and, you know, one has to be careful when they say this, is are our elected politicians there to serve us or there to serve themselves? Well, evidence has been pre presented as far as I'm concerned in Friendly Geordie's instance that in some occasions, well, perhaps that wasn't the case in New South Wales. You know, uh, and, and some like to call it good old-fashioned pork barrelling. Well, I noticed today the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, perhaps seeing the writing on the wall at a federal level, well, has announced that more scrutiny will be placed on government grants. Uh, he announced he would support or support in principle all recommendations from a so-called pork-barrelling review. Now, you have to remember, um, <laughs> the man at the centre of Jordan Shanks's allegations, John Barillaro, the former New South Wales Deputy Premier, used to wear, a, wear it 
this so-called pork barrelling as a badge of honour. He referred to himself in the first person as pork as pork barrelara. I wear that as a badge of honour. I wear that as a badge of honour. You know, and I, there's only so much public funding that can get around a state, territory, or a, a nation. And we, and as far as I'm concerned, we have to ensure that it's done. You know, on a uh, a fair basis and not to ensure it keeps certain people in political power. Marcus, thank you very much for your time on the Dwyer Show today. My pleasure, mate. Good to talk. Alrighty, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, I've got this story up on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Marcus Paul in the morning. It's something that, uh, look, regular listeners and followers of, uh, of me would know that I fully supported the government's vaccine mandates at first. It was only after they dragged on and, you know, they made constant changes and chops and changes that I started to wobble a little in my support. But ultimately, I supported the initial vaccine mandates. But I've just learned that unvaccinated teachers are being paid their full salary to sit at home on gardening leave despite there being staff shortages plaguing public schools in New South Wales. I've, I've spoken about this story for the last, I don't know, month or two. It's been revealed that hundreds of teachers have been told they must undertake, quote, alternative duties from home while waiting for the education department to decide whether to allow unvaccinated teachers to come back to school. Teachers subject to the, quote, alternative duties directive backdated to May 13, when, remember, public health orders mandating vaccination expired, are being paid their normal salary despite not being required to do their normal work. It's not bad work if you can get it. You will not be expected to undertake work during this time, uh, reads an email sent by, to these staff. Um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, to these staff by the state government. Despite public health orders mandating vaccination for school teachers expiring in May, the education department is still requiring teachers to be double jabbed to come to work. Why? I'll get to that in a moment. But should unvaccinated teachers still be getting paid for not working? That was a question asked in the newspaper yesterday in the Daily Telegraph. 74% as of the time that I was reading this said no. 26% yes. I think the real question is, should unvaccinated teachers be sent back to the classrooms. I think you'll find the uh, the figures to be the same. You know, 75, 25 or whatever. But bureaucrats, here's the why. Bureaucrats are working through a, quote, risk assessment about whether to allow unvaccinated staff back into the classroom. The Premier, Dominic Perrottet, said he expects his department and Treasury to finalise the risk assessments shortly. He's, uh, I thought we were, you know, in some sort of almost budget emergency. You know, while you're, you're saying to police officers you can't give them that $3,000 bonus you're giving to healthcare workers, but you can allow teachers to sit on their backsides at home, that's unvaccinated ones, earning full pay without doing anything. See, the problem is 
the Premier is facing an election inside the next six months and he's desperately scared of upsetting people in relation to COVID-19. Anyway, uh, the Premier said yesterday about it very clear that we are ending vaccine mandates. I appreciate that particularly with health and education, there are some complex areas that they are working through. He said he met with the Secretary's board a few weeks ago and all the secretaries and I once again asked uh, to follow that advice. They are working through those risk-based assessments and I expect, to come, uh, expect it to come back to me shortly and I expect them to implement my direction. Okay, well, an education department spokeswoman said it is a health and safety requirement that we complete a risk-based assessment of our workplaces and consult with staff on COVID-19 safety at schools. The reality is almost all staff did the right thing and got vaccinated, protecting students and fellow staff. Those remaining are relying on the common sense of others to protect their own safety. Alternative duties are determined on a case-by-case basis. One teacher who spoke on the condition of remaining anonymous had been told the risk assessment would not be completed or implemented until next term, which starts in mid-July. Not bad. The teacher said he was directed to just, quote, stay at home and look after himself until the department finished its assessment. The policy applies to teachers under investigation by the Professional and Ethical Standards Directorate for failing to comply with vaccination mandates, according to the email. All right, well, going through all of that, I come down to One Nation MP Mark Latham, who's been a, a staunch critic of vaccination mandates from the get-go, particularly for teachers. He said, and I agree, that the policy did not make sense. It seems incredible that the government would be paying qualified teachers to stay at home in the middle of a teacher shortage crisis when so many students are without teachers. The mandate should end and those funded teachers should return to the classroom. No more gardening leave. It's pretty hard not to argue against that. All right, Education Minister Sarah Mitchell, well, apparently her office was contacted for comments and I haven't seen anything come back from the Minister at this stage. Marcus Paul in the morning. If you want to comment on that, as I say, the story is up on our YouTube channel. Give us a subscription there, please. Marcus Paul in the morning on YouTube. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning. Just a a little federal politics now. Uh, Most of this morning's show has been about state stuff, but I see New Zealand leader Jacinda Ardern will travel to Sydney this week for meetings with... Our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, his first foreign visitor since winning the election last month. New Zealand media reported that Ardern would travel to Sydney tomorrow, along with her finance minister to meet Albo and the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers. Albanese's office confirmed the visit to The Guardian, Australia, and said a statement would be issued shortly with the Australian PM currently visiting Indonesia. Um, Ardern, according to News Hub, said we are fortunate to be close neighbours who share common values, history, personal connections and business relationships. This meeting also comes at an important moment in our reconnecting program as for New Zealanders and New Zealand businesses alike. Australia is a source of prosperity, labour, tourism, innovation, science and knowledge. 
Now, Ardern's statement said the trans-Tasman countries would continue to cooperate closely in a world of increasing challenges. News Hub said the New Zealand PM expected to discuss developments in our region with Albanese, including climate change, the US Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, the AUKUS Agreement and the upcoming Pacific Islands Forum. Meanwhile, um, Anthony Albanese has spoken on renewable energy opportunities during his trip to Indonesia. He says he wants to see clean energy available and affordable across the Pacific region. Um, He spoke about his government's plan to rewire the energy grid. He says it will ensure that renewables account for 82% of the national energy market by 2030. He said, and I quote, that is why my government will expand our cooperation with Indonesia on climate change, including through our commitment to establish a new climate and infrastructure partnership. We will work with Jakarta to build a resilient, clean energy sector and unlock green trade and investment opportunities. Because both of our countries recognise climate change is not only a problem to be solved, but presents opportunities to us to embrace opportunities, particularly to benefit the younger generations who I see at this university today. There we go. So Albo was yesterday in Makassar, Indonesia, delivering that speech. All right, there we go. Um, It's his eighth visit, by the way, to Indonesia. He spoke about how much the bike ride meeting with Indonesian President Joko Widodo meant... Uh, he said yesterday. Oh, he said, yeah. Well, he said yesterday that I've been out cycling with your president. You might have seen I was both honoured and touched that the president suggested a bike ride through the palace gardens. It was such an enjoyable way to see the magnificent grounds there, but it was also a great pleasure to engage with the president in such a personal, one-on-one way yesterday. And it will be a memory that I cherish. There we go. He went on to speak about the close ties between Australia and Indonesia and the long relationship between the uh, Makassan seafarers and First Nations people of Australia built around trade. Uh, He also mentioned that he was proud his ministry has for the first time two Muslim Australians in Ed Husick and Anne Ali. That was Albo yesterday in Indonesia. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, why don't we talk a little sport? Uh, we don't do a lot of that here on the program. Obviously, it's uh, more around uh, current affairs and uh, politics and all the rest of it. <coughs> Who would want to be a rugby league coach? You wouldn't be uh, one for quids, would you? Yesterday was a so-called bloodbath, and it wasn't even on the field. There were no tackles. There were no hit-ups. There were no kicks for touch. No tries, but... There was a boardroom coup against a a number of coaches. Michael Maguire was sacked as West Tigers coach just two hours after Nathan Brown was also shown the door at the New Zealand Warriors. Okay. Uh, Like I say, you wouldn't want to be a... Well, look, I don't know, maybe you would. uh, Because, you know, these blokes are on contracts earning crap loads of money and they these contracts will be honored and paid out they love 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 wasting money the national rugby league michael mcguire he was sacked nathan brown gone as well the tigers inform mcguire 
yesterday. His three-and-a-half-year tenure was over after winning just three of 12 games so far this season. Uh, Brett Kamali will take over on an interim basis. Now, Maguire's exit comes after he only narrowly held on to the job at the end of last year. A second review in the space of nine months was enough to end his tenure with the club now on the lookout for a full-time replacement. In a statement, the club said the West Tigers sincerely thanks Michael for all of his hard work and effort over the past three and a half years. Maguire was spotted at the Tigers' Concord headquarters earlier yesterday with players fronting the media still unaware of the drama that was about to ensue. Um, yeah, some say they were just there training. It was business as usual. All right, Maguire's exit comes on the same day that Nathan Brown was axed at the Warriors, potentially opening the door for him to walk straight in as Brown's replacement. Talk about a sliding doors moment, hey? A premiership winning mentor with South Sydney in 2014, Maguire already has a connection with the New Zealand Rugby League as coach of their national side, the Kiwis. While the Warriors will return to their Auckland home base next year, Brown met with Warriors officials yesterday morning before they agreed to end his one-and-a-half-year stint as coach early after five straight losses. All right, well, in the interim, New Zealand great Stacey Jones has been appointed interim coach. Brown had been contracted at the Warriors until the end of next year, but had already told officials he did not want to move back to New Zealand long term and could not commit beyond that. All right, well, there you go. Ultimately, though, the club's poor start to this season and Saturday night's horror outing against Manly when officials decided to move the coach on far quicker than all of that. All right. Like I say, you wouldn't want to be a rugby league coach for quids, would you? Or maybe you would. The money's pretty good. Job security, not so much. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, well, I think that's a fair show. That's it for us today. Thank you very much for your company on starterfm.com.au, the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and maybe you're listening to the Porncast, the podcast. If you are, please give it a share on your social media. Also, don't forget to subscribe to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you want to help us out too, our fundraiser is ongoing. The links are up on the Facebook page. Thank you for your company this morning on this 8th day of June. Uh, Stay online with us throughout the course of today. We'll continue to update you on uh, major breaking news on our Facebook page and the like and and continue to contribute there with your comments. Look, if you do want to be on the uh, show, what you can do is call our hotline 0406-521-250 or if you want, you can send me a direct message on Facebook and we'll get back to you and, and we are going to in the course of uh, the next week or so like we did this morning with ben start getting more of you on the uh, on the air okay enjoy the remains of today we'll catch up tomorrow take care bye for now marcus fall in the morning all right, ben. This will get you the good eggs.